Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Crew. If you haven't been here before, my name is Alan, and I'm one of the, the crew leaders here. I'm one of the missionaries campus leaders here with crew on our campus. Um, <clears throat> I am up here to continue our series that we call The Gifts of God. So let me pray, and then we will do that. Lord, we want to see you tonight. <clears throat> Lord, we want to be face-to-face with you, and we want to hear and know what you would have to say to us. Lord, as we walk through our world and we encounter so many confusing things and so many things that are so hard to explain and really just so many things that are hard, Lord, our hearts yearn to know what do you have to say. And I pray tonight that that would become clear, Lord, that you that you would speak, that you would tell us and teach us what it is that you have to say to us. And so I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would open up your Bible with us, that you would speak to us through the word that you've given us. Lord, get me out of the way and speak your word, speak your message. Teach us, teach us how to be wise and teach us how to see you. And most of all, Lord, yes, show us how really good you are because you are the good gift giver. Amen. Okay. Um, I'm a little hot on this mic. Can you turn me down just a wee bit? That'd be great. We are here talking about the gifts of God. Now, last week, <clears throat> if you came, you heard us talk about the gift of alcohol, which is kind of a funny title. I don't think most of us think about it last way, but if you were here last week, you kind of learned how we do in that we talked about how God is a giver of good gifts, and he gives us great things for our enjoyment and everything is to be accepted if it's accepted with thanksgiving. And we read passages about that and then we talked about some of the guardrails on that and just how the Lord wants us to think about that. But the main point that we made, remember, was that God is a giver of good gifts. And when God gives us gifts, actually we have a funny way of getting them wrong. And typically the way we get them wrong is that we don't enjoy them enough. We talk about how <clears throat> we are too easily satisfied and that we stop with trying to enjoy the gift. But then last week we talked about actually we're made for so much more. Our hearts are made for so much more than just whatever gift we happen to have in our hands. We want to press through the gift to the giver and to experience him, and that's when we enjoy the gift to the fullest. Now, I'm not going to recap any more than that. You can kind of go on the podcast, and you can listen to how we did that for about 10 minutes last week, but that was just a really important point, because our Gifts of God series kind of focuses on this idea that God gives us good things. His heart is for us, and he, he has created things for us that we just don't know the joy of, because we don't press through them enough to experience the giver. And we don't really understand just how much he does love us through the gifts that he gives us. Well, tonight, we're on the second one of our series, and tonight's topic is sex. 
So tonight we're talking about the gift of sex. I got a whoop. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Woo! That's right. Well, actually, you know, I'm not at all surprised about that because, I mean, come on. Let's just, uh, let's be honest, right? This is something that kind of resonates. It's kind of front and center in today's culture. And I'm just, okay, here we go. I'm just going to throw it down, all right? Y'all, sex is a gift from God, okay? Now, I'm just going to start right out the box, okay? I'm just going to throw a passage at you, and we're just going to say it, all right? Here's Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. It's going to be on the screen. You can look it up if you want. Here's what it says. It says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Woo! Mmm. We're already getting steamy, and we just started. Right? Now... This passage is written from a man's perspective simply because it comes from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is actually intentionally written for young men as its target audience. And so what you read in that book will be as if speaking to a man or speaking to a man's perspective. So that's kind of why it, why it sounds like that. But of course you think this is steamy. You should try reading Song of Solomon sometime. No, actually don't do that until you're 30 or married. You can just, just hold off on that. What I'm trying to say is there is no shortage of places in the Word of God that I could have chosen from to make this point that sex is a gift of God. And he takes great pleasure in the fact that he gave it to us. Now, in this verse, you just see that so much in this passage, you know, where it says, may you ever be captivated by our love. The word there is drunk. What it really means is, would you, may you ever be intoxicated. Now, if that is not a sign that God likes giving us the gift of sex and takes joy in, uh, in seeing husbands and wives enjoy it, I don't know what is. But there's just so many examples saying, when it comes to sex as a gift, God has given it to us because it's good. But see, here's the thing. I think we tend to believe that we know that already. And I think if I just say, oh, yeah, sex is a gift of God, you're like, uh-huh, sure. And that's because, I mean, let's face it, we all know how we feel, right? Sex feels good. I mean, we all know that. We're old enough to understand this fact. But see, here's, here's the thing. I don't think we actually really do get how much sex is a gift from God. I think we stop short, and I know pop culture stops short. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is by saying sex is a gift of God, is I'm trying to say, y'all, sex is better than you think. I was going to see if anybody laughed at that. <laughs> Nervous silence. I, this is good. I'm actually making a few people blush, and that's like right off the bat. First five minutes, we're already there. Yes, I know what I just said. Okay. But see, here, here, by the way, okay, that reminds me of this story. So once y'all go to this conference, right, and there's this, um, this is like breakout sessions. There were 30 or 40 of us in there. And this guy was up front, and he was talking about sex. And he was trying to talk about how culture, American culture, is far too infatuated with sex. And he was kind of doing it in an odd way. And he was 
He was just saying, y'all, sex is not that great. I've had better pizzas. And in the back, somebody raised a hand and said, where do you get your pizzas? <laughs> and of course, you break for lunch. Everybody's like, pizza, let's get pizza. No. Y'all, sex is better than you think, meaning sex is more a gift of God than you think it is or than you and I understand it is. Now, to help us understand that tonight, I am going to have to first lay a little groundwork so we can understand how God talks about this gift in his word. And so here's how I'm going to do it. Okay, on this screen, right over here, I have a little diagram of two circles. This is very complex, but your college students, I think you can handle this, okay? Two concentric circles. The blue circle in the marriage is what I'm going to call marriage. And the red, all outside of that, is what I'm going to call not marriage. Following so far, right? Now, I know already what you want me to do. You're looking at that diagram, and what you really want me to do is you want me to talk all about the red, and you want me to talk all about the things that are these controversial discussions and different behaviors and all these kinds of things. But actually tonight, I'm going to talk about the blue one. Now, when we start with the blue one, and we say, what's the relationship with sex to the blue one? It's very clear. Here's just one passage about it, Hebrews 13.4. It'll show up right there, and it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. Now, it says kept pure, which means the marriage bed is pure. It already is pure. The marriage bed is not defiled. Some of you may have a version that says that. It is undefiled. In other words, sex in that blue circle is as pure as can be, is as holy, is as right, is as good, is as moral as can possibly be. It is pure. And that's what God says is, this is how I designed it. I designed this gift for you and I put it in this blue circle, right? Now, in the red, <clears throat> we have a word that we will describe the red with that the Bible talks about. And it's this Greek term called porneia. Some of you may have different translations of how this, this word gets translated. Um, I'm going to use this translation, sexual immorality. It's kind of a general word, but porneia is kind of a general word. In Greek, the specific meaning of that is fornication or promiscuity. But actually, in the Bible, this word gets used to basically describe all sexual activity that's outside that blue circle. Everything that's around that red is porneia. Now, porneia, what word does that sound like? Porno pornography, porn, right? That's, this is where we get the word pornography, is from this Greek term, porneia. And this explains everything or describes everything that can be in that red circle that people talk about so much. Fornication, adultery, homosexual sex, sodomy, pornography, and just, just general lust as invisible visual lust. Um, I mean, we could just go on and on with all the different, the different expressions of sex that would just be described by this word porneia. Now, I know I just lost some of you because a couple of you and maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you're just kind of checking out this whole God thing, and I, I'm right on the edge of losing you because I know inside already you are saying, see, you Christians are just all about do's and don'ts when it comes to sex. It's just about following rules. 
And I, I get it. And you know, if you look at the red circle, maybe it does feel that way. But honestly, y'all, I really do think that if we were to look at the blue circle and understand it, we would find out that actually the view and the vision of sexuality that the Christian faith has to offer is actually one of the most exciting, attractive elements that would ever attract someone to believe. I really do. So don't tune out on me yet. I think to understand this circle, we really need to ask the question, why does God give us commands like these that kind of define the red circle and the blue circle? And why is he saying that his wisdom in designing sex a certain way is best for us? Because that is God's heart. He wants what's best for us. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and directs you in the way you should go, he said in Isaiah 43. He wants our best. But here's how I think we can understand it. I, I give a little credit to Tim Keller here because I think he explains it so well. If we understand the blue circle, we understand that this marriage circle is a kind of relationship called covenant. Now, what is a covenant? Lots of different ways we could define it. It's basically an agreement, but it's an special kind of an agreement in which it is a relationship of full acceptance in which every party considers the relationship is more valuable than the other person meeting his own needs. Let me say it a little more plainly. Covenant is a kind of relationship in which two people consider the relationship more important than having your own needs met. A relationship where two people consider the relationship to be more important than having your own needs met. That's how I'm going to kind of define it tonight. I still remember when I was engaged, I went to a marriage conference, and, our, and the speaker was up on front in the stage, and he started talking about how marriage is not a 50-50 relationship. He said marriage is a 100-100 relationship. And you, you know what that means, I think, even just intuitively. When we approach marriage, most people in our culture consider marriage to be 50-50. You do your part. I'll do my part. He says, no, that's not what covenant is. Covenant is I'll do it all. And the other person also at the same time saying, I'll come all the way to you. 100-100 relationship. That's covenant. You see what that's saying? I will stay in this relationship. I'll do it all regardless of whether you meet my needs or not. Why do we see so many divorces in our culture and in our world? I think one of the big reasons is most people go into marriage assuming it's just a 50-50 relationship. And if you don't meet my needs, well, I'm going to bug out. and I'm going to find somebody else who will. But that is not how marriage is supposed to be. That's not what marriage is in God's design, right? Now, in contrast, what would we call the red circle? I would call it consumer relationship. A consumer relationship, of course, is a performance relationship in which one party has to meet the needs of the other or the agreement is terminated. Um, I have a cell phone. I have a carrier on my cell phone. And I am content to use this cell phone carrier as long as it meets my needs. But if I find another cell phone carrier whose rates are cheaper and who might have better signal, I'm going to drop this cell phone carrier and I'm going to go with that cell phone carrier. Likewise... If I don't pay my bill, 
for three straight months, my cell phone carrier is going to drop me as a customer and go work with other customers. We have a consumer relationship. As long as we meet each other's needs in that agreement, we're fine. But if one party fails, then we're not fine. We leave that relationship. A marriage covenant is not like that. That's why we say wedding vows. You remember what the vows say? I do lots of wedding. <laughs> they say for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, till death do us part. You, you know what those vows are really saying? They're saying even if you don't or can't meet my needs, I will not leave. The relationship is more important than your performance. That's what makes a marriage last. Husbands don't stay married to wives because their wife is perfect. A wife doesn't stay married to her husband because of her husband. They stay married to each other because of the Lord and the covenant that they have made. Now, today in our culture, so many people just dismiss marriage, right? And you hear this all the time. People saying, well, why get married? What's the point? I mean, it's just more convenient to not have the laws to deal with. So we'll just kind of move in with each other and we'll just do that. And now you have a lot of people saying, who cares about whether you're actually married or not? And it's because we have turned marriage into this red circle, into a consumer relationship. We just see it as another way. Now think about it, though. If marriage really is covenant, you know, we have the old line about how cohabitating is just like, it's the old adage of like trying on shoes. You just want to try on marriage to see if it fits. But of course, that's not true. Because by definition, living together can never be a way of trying on marriage. Because marriage is not a relationship in which you have an out if the other party doesn't meet your needs. So even just living together to try it on is saying, I'm going to leave if it doesn't fit. That's not marriage. You can't try on marriage. By definition, that's just not what's happening. And there's all kinds of discussion about, you know, how this has affected culture. You know, have you ever heard the word sliding? Do you know what this is? A couple, they start living together and more and more they just kind of slide into this relationship that kind of looks like marriage but isn't. And they just collect all these possessions they share and then they have debt in both of their names. And then they break up. And it's a huge problem because who gets the dog, right? You can't cut that guy in half. You're going to have a big fight. You just slide into this relationship and it's a consumer relationship. There's this great piece in the New York Times a few years ago. It was an op-ed piece about this. And they were interviewing couples that had cohabitated and lived together. There's this amazing quote that has stuck with me. Where the, the female partner of this couple, after they had broken up and split up, she said, they had lived together for seven years. And she said, I felt like I was in one long, continual audition to be his spouse. That's a consumer relationship. There. Now, with that framework and in that light, it's a lot easier to talk about and to think about the gift of sex. So let's talk about it. What is the gift of sex and why is the gift of sex, why is sex more of a gift than we think it is? And I would say... That the answer to that question is probably the word oneness. You know, all of us are looking for oneness in relationships, aren't we? We want a relationship that is going to meet our heart need. And we want to be known. 
We want to have intimacy with a person. And we want that relationship to feel like home. We really want oneness. And yeah, we play around and we party and we do all kinds of things. But really, what we'd really love deep down inside is is for one person and another person to come together and to bond and to be one. So that two people together share one life and are fully known and are together and don't come apart. Now, contrast the pop culture viewpoint of sex as just physical activity. Um, I think it was Justin Timberlake who uttered that famous statement a few years ago, sex is like tennis, it's just sex. Talk about a person with a low view of sex. You could hardly get any lower. It's just, it's just a physical activity. Or, of course, you know, today you hear sex referred to as play for adults. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, this is great. I can read this quote. So I, um, I, I subscribe to this little email product review um, arm of the New York Times called Wirecutter. And they do great reviews of things like robot vacuums and cooking utensils and woks and all kinds of things like that. And they'll tell you which are the best brands to buy. I love that kind of stuff. So I get an email from them about every week about, oh, here's the latest products. And then they'll, like, they'll say, oh, here's the sales we expect this month. And so for February, this is the email. This was in the email I got from them. It said, you can also expect sales on appliances, big and small, that you've had your eye on, like air fryers and refrigerators. Lastly, we expect to see massive deals on sex toys for solo or partner play. It is the month of love after all. Ooh, ooh! That, I just, I just, I was sitting there and I was like, ooh! I don't even want to touch my computer now. I feel like it's dirty. I mean, it's just the grossest thing. But do you see it? They're saying, oh, just sex is just play. It's just play for adults, right? Masturbation is just solo play. That's all it is. Ugh! And I just have to think. I would be so sad for the person who thinks that the way to celebrate Valentine's Day or the month of love is by sitting alone on your couch masturbating with a sex toy. Ugh. But this is, this is the way our society sees sex. This is how sex is viewed in our world here in modern America. But ladies and gentlemen, I say no. Mm -mm. Sex is better than you think. And here's why. It's oneness. God's design of sex is not only for producing pleasure and kids, but also for producing oneness. And I want to show you a couple of passages where we are taught that. This is Matthew 19, 3 through 6. In this chapter, a bunch of religious rulers who don't like Jesus, they come and they want to test him. Now, in this society, you have to understand at this time where Jesus was, it was extremely easy for a man to divorce a woman and basically just shove her out into the street for as little as, you know, as little provocation as she burned his dinner. If you just didn't like her anymore, you could just divorce her. It was pretty heinous. And so it says, some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Forget this, for any and every reason. Here's how Jesus answers. 
they ask him about divorce. He talks about marriage. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The Pharisees come and they want to ask Jesus about divorce. And instead, Jesus answers them by talking about marriage. And Jesus says these things about marriage. Number one, male and female, he created them. Marriage is one man and one woman. And number two, when this one man and one woman come together, they become one. They become one flesh. Now notice what he pointed back to for this answer. He pointed back to Genesis. He pointed back to the Garden of Eden. He pointed back to Adam and Eve and said, Adam and Eve, this is the model. This is what we're talking about. Marriage is oneness. Marriage is covenant. And he leads them to draw their own conclusion about divorce. Jesus talks about marriage. And marriage is oneness. Here's a second passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 17. Now, Paul is writing to these people in Corinth, <clears throat> and Paul is saying to them, um, there was this, just so you know the background, there's this big temple in the city of Corinth, I think it was to Dionysus, and there were temple prostitutes, and the men of the city would go and worship by having sex with prostitutes at the temple, and they were just there all day, every day. And of course, Paul is writing to these new Christians saying, this must stop. Here's what he says. Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute, get it, becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. He quotes the same passage in Genesis. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Okay? Do you see it? You see what Paul is saying? When two people have sex, something happens called oneness. If you have sex with a prostitute, your body and her body become one. Your members become her members, he says to these Corinthian men. Right? And you are not meant for that. You are one with the Lord spiritually, and you are meant to only be one with your spouse. Oneness is meant for covenant. Do you see what it's saying? Sex has a certain power. It is a power to connect in oneness. It's more than just physical activity. Now look, we know sex is powerful. We all know that. We know it feels powerful. But sex outside of marriage is incongruous because when you are having sex with somebody, according to this, what is happening is more than just a physical activity. You are joining yourself completely in one area physically, but also emotionally, in your will. You're joining with another person completely. You can't just do something physically and separate the rest of yourself out from that. I mean, no one's that just connected. We all know that. I think deep down inside, we all know that we're way more holistic than that as human beings, right? When sex moves into the consumer area, into that red circle, it gets warped and it brings pain and it leads to being broken and messed up. 
because it's being misused. It wasn't meant to be used in a consumer way. It wasn't meant to be self-gratifying. It wasn't meant for you, in other words. It was meant to be a gift to that other person you're being one with, right? That's what happens when you are looking at porn, isn't it? That's probably the ultimate consumer example in that there's not even another person in the room. You're just using sex for your own gratification. It's completely consumer. You see this in hookup culture too, which is, by the way, a term I despise because it's an attempt by our pop culture to just so casualize sex as to make it no big deal. But it's a huge deal. And what is happening? You know, at worst is the one night stand where there's not even a pretense for caring for another person. It's just two people getting together to play, just enjoy each other. But just like we said last week that drunkenness is the abuse of alcohol, <clears throat> this is the abuse of sex because sex has a great power to bond two people together in a way they could not otherwise be joined. And that is supposed to aid us in covenant. You look at a covenant like marriage and you're like, who can do that? Well, you know what? Sex is part of the way that happens because it joins us. But when we put sex in the consumer area, and we have one partner and then we separate and then we have another partner and then we separate and then we have another partner and then we separate or maybe we we you know look at porn and then we look at somebody else on a different porn site and we just keep attaching and detaching when you detach from that kind of oneness something begins to happen and that something that begins to happen is you begin to leave a piece of yourself behind. So God gives us guardrails about this. Sex is intended for oneness and covenant. That's what it's supposed to do for us. And that's why it's a greater gift than we think. It's more than just a pleasure to enjoy. It's something to bless our entire lives with a depth that we would not experience another way. But sex, being that powerful, has guardrails. Now, last week when we did alcohol, we talked about what are some guardrails, and we talked about four of them. Let's just talk about a couple tonight. God gives us guardrails on how to enjoy this gift, right? <clears throat> I just gave you a couple. Here's 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, and that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. It's pretty simple. The word is abstain. Abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from porneia. That red circle that's on the outside, the answer is just no. It's just no. But do you understand why? Do you understand it's not just a, a do and a don't, right? Do you get it? Sex is for oneness. And, and you know, 
sex is often likened to fire. We just, we just talk about that all the time. Oh, I'm on fire. Oh, I'm just burning with passion. En fuego. You know, whatever. There's all these different ways we would say that. Fire is great in a fireplace. But when fire gets out of that fireplace, it burns down your house. Do you understand this? God has given us this gift, and he puts guardrails on it to protect us. This is why that pornea is outside the boundaries. And he says simply, abstain. He says, no. He says, don't do it. Don't attempt it. Don't associate yourself with it. Wait. And on that wedding night, on that wedding week, when you get married, and it's time to become one, oh, the gift you are going to experience is so much deeper than just physical pleasure. But a oneness of relationship. Let me talk about a second guardrail. And um, So last week I got kind of serious when we started talking about alcoholism. And I'm going to get even more serious about this tonight. Um, so we're going to talk about pornography. And of all the different things that we could talk about in sex, we just, we just have to talk about this one. Because pornography is... The affliction of this generation. It is the affliction of your generation. I did not grow up in the world you are growing up in. When I was in high school, when I was your age in college, we did not have the access to pornography and, and the pressure of pornography that all of you have spent your entire lives in. And it makes me really sad Pornography is everywhere, and not only is it everywhere, it's aggressive. I, uh, Thomas has been doing a project on this recently. He gave me some great statistics, so shout out for him for doing my research for me. But he had, interesting, he said, according to an article by the anti-pornography website Fight the New Drug, most young people are exposed to porn by age 13. And according to a nationally represented survey of U.S. teens, 84% of 14 to 18 year old males and 57% of 14 to 18 year old females have viewed pornography. In other words, it's pervasive and it's aggressive. It's not just passive where you have to go looking for it, it actually pursues you. I don't know if you heard this, but a couple of months ago, the news came out that the TikTok algorithm is actually wired and programmed in such a way that it, it collects data on when you pause. Think about that. Not just what you stop and click on and watch, but it actually starts building things to show you based on what you pause on. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever met a human being, male or female, who isn't just scrolling along and suddenly sees some provocative sexual image and goes, whoa, and then keeps scrolling. By TikTok's algorithm, that means you're now going to see more provocative sexual images just because you paused, even if you were just surprised. That's how aggressive it is. It pursues us everywhere we go. Here's what Jesus would say about pornography. In Matthew 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin... Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Or maybe today we would say, if your cell phone causes you to sin, 
throw it away. It is better for your cell phone <clears throat> to be thrown away than your whole body to go into hell. I mean, however we would want to phrase that. But what is it that is that temptation? And Jesus says, even if you just look at somebody lustfully, you have already committed adultery with that person in your heart. Because Jesus knows this is a misuse of sex. God gives us commands to protect us because he loves us. And repeated use of pornography has effects on us. One of the effects is it desensitizes us to pleasure. You know, there was another study done that said when sexually stimulated, dopamine is released into a region of the brain responsible for emotion and learning, giving the viewer a sharp sense of focus and awareness of craving. And so this repeated surge of dopamine through viewing porn eventually fatigues the brain and creates an ever-increasing desire for an ever-diminishing return. Literally what happens is pornography and looking at intense images like that that create this kind of dopamine hit actually widen the synapses of your brain that give you the sensation of pleasure. Meaning it becomes harder for that synapse to be bridged the next time. And the more you do that, the wider and wider they get. And not only does this affect your ability to have sexual pleasure, it affects your ability to have any kind of pleasure. It takes more stimulus to even be happy about non-sexual things. That's one of the mental physiological effects of pornography. You can see why Jesus is trying to protect us from this. Pornography also has wide-ranging effects far beyond your own involvement. In their journal article, The Slave and the Porn Star, Researchers Robert Peters, Laura Lederer, and Shane Kelly inquired into the relationship between pornography, prostitution, and sex trafficking. Citing other literature, these researchers say pornography, quote, normalizes prostitution and commercial sexual exploitation. Pornography is prostitution for mass consumption. Mm. Where have we heard consumption before? Consumer relationship? We talked about that. And they also said that pimps and traffickers use pornography to initiate their victims into their new life of sexual slavery. Wow. I mean, we could just go on and on. There's been so many studies that have been done. Do you see why God gives us these, these guardrails? It's to protect us, to protect us personally, to protect our society, to protect us in so many ways. Now, we're out of time. I need to stop. I, I can't go into like, okay, how do we battle pornography and all this? But I will just say, listen, if you have been highly affected by this or you are caught in a real trap in this, we would love to talk to you. And the person who's discipling you or one of our staff, we'd love to sit down and have conversations with you about this and what, what can I do and what are good steps I can take. But we just have to understand God's heart is for us. Sex is a gift. It's not supposed to harm us this way. But fire that is not kept in a fireplace burns down your house. A couple other important things I just need to close with. What if you had blown it? I know that there's probably a lot of us in this room and you're sitting there thinking, that this is really dire and that this is scary and you're also thinking um, it's already too late for me I already blew it what do I what about me what do I do well I have some good news for you 2nd Corinthians 517 says this therefore 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone, the new has come. Here's the good news. God is not a consumer relationship with his children. Your relationship with God and his love for you is not based on your performance. And when we come into a relationship with Christ, God takes broken things and he says they are made new. We are new creations in Christ. We are no longer bound by the things that bound us before. But we can become new because of his love for us and the changes that he makes in us and the forgiveness that he gives us. Because all things become new creations. Now, if you're struggling in any of these areas, my message to you is that, you know what? God is pleased with your struggle. Take that the right way. He's not pleased that there's sin in your life, but he's pleased you're struggling against it. He's pleased with your effort. He's pleased with your desire for holiness. And he wants you to continue. And he's on your side and he's for you. And you're showing you love him even though you have a fight with your sinful nature. Falling and failing with an honest heart and then struggling and confessing it and coming back to the Lord. That confessing and coming back is an act of worship and God is pleased by it. God lives in covenant with you and he makes all things new. And then the last question I have is this. In light of what we have said tonight, my last question is, are you in a covenant relationship with God? I, I know most of you, I look out the room and I like to see a lot of faces I recognize, but I also know that there's some I don't. And maybe some of you are new here, you haven't come before, and maybe you're still kind of thinking about all this God question, and that's great. This is an awesome place for you to be. And we hope you find us to be a warm, welcoming, friendly place. Um, but my question is, having heard about covenant tonight and what covenant is, are you in a covenant relationship with God? You know, one of the illustrations of marriage in Scripture, or one of the teachings of marriage, is that marriage is itself an illustration of our relationship with God, of Christ and His bride. God forgives us and brings us into a covenant relationship with Him in which performance is not the basis. But just like you have to consent when you're proposed to in order to enter a marriage, we also have to consent to the Lord. He is given himself for us. Christ died on the cross because we had sinned and fallen short of God. And yet, he paid that penalty for our sins so that we could come back into that pure covenant relationship with him. If you don't know what that means or you don't think you've ever done that or you wouldn't describe your relationship with God like that, we would love to talk to you about that. Um, there's that card on your seat, the one with the yellow border, and it has a little box that says, I'm not sure about the whole God thing, but I wouldn't mind having a conversation. Just fill that out. Put your phone number on there. Check the box. We would love to just sit down and chat about that because ultimately that is the basis of all the good gifts that God gives us because he loves us. Pray with me. Lord God, we worship you as a giver of good gifts. Lord, thank you so much that you, you know better than us 
you know better than we do. Lord, you, your, your wisdom is so much deeper than ours. And Lord, thank you that you have a heart to give us guidelines and guardrails and commands that protect us because you love us. And we just um, we thank you for that love tonight. Lord, thank you that your gifts are so good and that you're such a good God that you give them. And Lord, thank you that you're such a good God that you want our protection. Lord, I do pray that if there are any tonight who are, are, are really heavy laden after hearing this message or these passages who are really burdened, Father, I pray for release for them. I pray for a release of forgiveness that they would know that your forgiveness rests on them and your goodness um, has not left them. Lord, I pray that, um, that that confession and that restoration would happen tonight. Lord, I ask that, um, that you would speak even to that person tonight. And Father, for those who are caught in this trap um, of porneia and just don't know the way out, Lord, show the way out. Lord, bring deliverance and bring release. And Lord, protect us that we might be a pure bride for you, a pure bride for our earthly husband, a pure husband for our earthly brides, and ultimately a pure bride for you, Lord Jesus. I love you so much. Amen.